Although I was uh, just eight years old at the time, I'll never forget the tears shed all around me when he was killed. It was a terrible day, and the man's powerful God-inspired words remain ingrained in my soul to this day. And as I think about him and his nonviolent, world-changing movement, I've been saying to myself all week, if only, if only. On the night before he was shot, he spoke in response to striking sanitation workers at a gathering at the Mason Temple of the Church of God in Christ. Here are some excerpts from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech in Memphis the night before he was killed. And I quote, The world is all messed up. The nation is sick. But I know somehow that only when it's dark enough can you see the stars. And I see God working in this period. It is no longer a choice between violence and nonviolence in this world. It's nonviolence or non-existence. That's where we are today. If something is not done and in a hurry to bring the colored peoples of the world out of their long years of poverty, their long years of hurt and neglect, the whole world is doomed. I'm just happy God has allowed me to live in this period to see what's unfolding. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter to me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind, like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Long life has its place, but I'm not concerned by that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go to the mountain. And I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. And we as a people will get to the promised land. I'm not worried about anything. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. The next day rolled around, and Martin Luther King Jr. was staying at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee. And according to one source, Dr. King, these were almost his last words, Dr. King said to a musician named Ben, Hey Ben, make sure you play Take My Precious Hand, Lord. Play that in the meeting tonight. Hey and Ben, and, and play Take My Precious Hand, Lord, and play it real pretty. And then at 6.01 p.m. on the balcony of the motel, he was shot dead. Dr. King was one of those unique human beings who was able to convey reality, all along with hope, all at the same time. His poignant portrayal of what was wrong moved a nation. Yet he was known for words of hope when speaking of tragic truths. Then in another place in the same era, there's a story of another man who was able to uniquely combine truth with hope. You may have heard of him. This other man's name was Admiral Stockdale, a war hero. He spent eight years in a North Vietnamese POW camp. And years after his release, during an interview, Admiral Stockdale said the following. This is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith 
that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your reality, whatever they might be. Jim Collins, the management teacher, writer, and consultant, met and interviewed Admiral Stockdale, and the quotation I just shared was from that interview. And Collins referred to Stockdale's insight into facing truth, along with the conviction of prevailing as the Stockdale paradox. Collins writes, in wrestling with life's challenges, the Stockdale paradox, which you may remember, is that you must retain faith that you will prevail in the end, and you must also confront the most brutal, fact, brutal facts of your current reality, has proved powerful for coming back from difficulties, not weakened, but stronger, for all those who have learned the lesson and tried to apply it. Both Stockdale and King understood something. Hope can happen in the midst of whatever reality is happening. Because hope is all about prevailing. And in the end, God prevails, as Dr. King understood. And as I think about this particular time in history, as I think about Dr. King, his approach to life of facing reality and trusting that God prevails, I, I think that he was spot on. Saying all this another way, Dr. King's life and words were all about dealing with truth straight on. No hiding, no denying, no wishing, no distorting, no wishing reality away, no ducking issues that made people feel uncomfortable. Like the biblical prophets, he confronted the facts directly without hesitation. But at the same time, he trusted that God prevails. If you listen to Dr. King's speeches, he combined reality with a razor-sharp focus on God. And as I think about it, it seems to me that this combination is at the heart of hope. Hope comes from facing truth and living and acting by the fact that God will prevail regardless of what that truth entails. As I think about me, as I think about you, as I think about this community, as I think about our nation, I think we need hope. And so for a few moments, I'd like to explore hope with you. Hope that is based on looking at the truth and the conviction that God overcomes. While there is so much that is right and good in our country and in the world, and although there are so many great, astonishing, selfless people who seek to do the right thing, and even though there is a lot going on that is wonderful, we hear the stories day in and day out, I believe there's another reality we cannot deny. Dr. King said it in 1968. The world is all messed up, and the nation is sick. If we're to find hope, convey hope, and live hope, we must acknowledge truth. Truths that are uncomfortable, unsettling, and compel us, I believe, to move out of our zones of comfort and perceive safety. That said, today I don't want to focus on what's wrong, because most of us, I believe that most of us, know what is wrong all too well. We know what is wrong if we are honest with ourselves. 
We know what is wrong if we are willing to listen to God more than any other voice we pay attention to. But in the context of acknowledging all that is messed up, I now want to turn to hope. So what is hope? How do we get hope? How do we live by hope? First, a definition, and there are lots of them, but here are just a few. In a general sense, hope has to do with confidence. Confidence in the future. Confidence that things will work out. Hope means to desire something or some outcome. It means to cherish an envisioned future, to trust, to look forward. Hope has to do with what we expect. Hope is future-oriented. It's not about yesterday. It's about the next moment and tomorrow. Hope is about believing that something better is possible, even though it may be difficult to attain or even envision. Hope also has to be based upon something or someone. For example, I can base my hope on a government or a political party. I can base my hope on a person or a situation that's going on. I can place my hope in philosophy. I can base my hope on humankind. Heck, I can base my hope on aliens in space if I want to. But I also, if I so choose, can base my hope ultimately on God. And the point is that hope depends on an object, and anything can be the object of hope. This does not mean that all objects of hope are the same or yield the same capacity to fulfill our hopes. Many objects of hope will disappoint. So what are our objects of hope? What are your objects of hope? How can we get clear on whom or what we're placing our hopes upon? What's well, interesting, but I think the objects of our hope, what it is that we're hoping for, can, can be discovered if we pay attention to what it is that we're longing for. I think all of us, if we pause for a moment, if we, if we get quiet, if we reflect, I think most of us will discover that we have deep personal longings. It's part of what it is to be alive. And sometimes what we long for can be hard to articulate, but our longings, sometimes we feel them as an inner sense, a, a nudge, a feeling of looking for, searching for something yet to be found. What we long for are often where we discover what the objects of our hope really are about. And I believe if we pay attention, if humankind pays attention, I believe that most people discover that our deepest, most profound longings in life are all about God. And when we get in touch with that longing for God, we get in touch with the ultimate source of hope. The most resilient hope is a hope based on God a desire to have a relationship with God, a conviction that God will prevail even when things are messed up. And as followers of Jesus, wherever we are in that journey, God invites each of us to make God the object of our hope in the midst of looking at what is wrong straight on. And the interesting thing is when we place our hope in God, it affects how we live now. Here's what the writer C.S. Lewis one day said. He said, aim for heaven in life, and you get earth thrown in. Aim for earth, and you get neither. 
And what he meant is that when we keep our eyes on God and God's promises, what we know about God, and that eternal life is ahead for us, it affects how we live each day now and how we confront challenges. If we trust that there's a whole other dimension all around us and that God is infused everywhere, how we conduct ourselves each day now in the midst of whatever realities we're dealing with is impacted with our eyes on God, with our eyes on what is ahead, with our eyes on the fact that God will prevail, our actions now are much more likely to reflect God's heart. If, however, we ignore God, don't keep our eyes on God, put any idea of eternity aside, dismiss God, base our ultimate hope on people or objects, that's going to affect how we live now, too. In essence, take any thought of heaven away. Take thoughts of God away. Make the conclusion that all we have is 70-plus years to live and that all we see is all we get. What really are we hoping for? And whom are we depending upon for our hope? C.S. Lewis also pointed out that those who have done the most for the world are often those who thought most of the next. The apostles, minus poor Judas, of course, did everything they did after Jesus' resurrection, after Easter morning, because they knew where they were ultimately headed. It gave them what they needed to persist now. They had complete and total trust for the future because of Jesus, and this fired them up to live boldly, to take informed risks, to speak out when unpopular and dangerous to do so, and to change the world even though they knew they would be executed. They kept their eyes on heaven and they got earth thrown in. Paul, from scripture, did everything he did because his eyes were on Jesus, his eternal life with Jesus, and his complete trust that God prevails. Such things enabled him to travel thousands of miles all over the place, and helped him get through and remain hopeful through all kinds of torment. And frankly, I would say that Dr. King was as prophetic and powerful in his nonviolent movement because he kept his eyes on the promised land. He knew where he was headed, and he trusted that God prevails. Our reading today is from Romans chapter 5, and in it Paul writes, Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. How I wish we could skip the suffering part. Paul knew suffering firsthand, yet he endured what came his way. And it created his character that we learn about through his writings in the New Testament. Writings which enable Paul to tell us that love is what matters the most. And Paul did all this because of hope, as I've mentioned, a hope based on Jesus, a hope, of, a hope based on the knowledge of eternity, a hope knowing that our actions have eternal significance, a hope based on the fact that God prevails. And Paul understood that if God could raise Jesus from the dead, there's nothing God cannot do. So in this tumultuous time in history, this era in which much within our nation is sick, this period of so much hatred and division and anger and upset and strife and hurt. 
We need to renew our hope based on God. And for encouragement to do this, for the encouragement to renew our hope based on God, listen for just a few minutes as I wrap up to the words of those who face brutally difficult truths head on, yet trusted that God prevails. Listen to the words of these people, just a few, who lived and had a choice to make whether or not to trust God and base their hope on God. Paul wrote, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Here Paul is saying that no matter what we go through in life, an amazing life with God awaits us all. Trust him. And because we can trust that, we can go ahead and live today fully in whatever reality we're dealing with. Because we know that in the end, all will be well. All will be well. So live now, today. We don't need to give up on living because God will prevail. Paul wrote, know that in all things, he wrote this in the midst of suffering, know that in the midst of all things that God works for the good of those who love him. Here Paul reminds us that in the midst of whatever mess we're in, God is continually working through that mess for the good of all. We may not see it at a given moment, but God is working, always working for good. This nation is sick, but God is working through this mess for the good of all, even when we can't see it. Paul wrote, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through Christ. Through these, in other words, Paul implores us to trust that our relationship with God is in great shape because of Jesus. That God is willing to do anything for us, including dying on a cross and to take encouragement from this to live each day. And all God seeks from us in return is to make the choice to trust God. Paul wrote, I pray that with eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know the hope to which God has called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And here Paul reminds each of us that God calls us to place our hope in God, to trust that heaven is where we're headed and that the power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is the same power, the God, power of God that is within you and within me right now to endure anything. God's power within each of us is enough to face whatever painful truths head on. And finally, here's what Peter wrote before he was crucified upside down. What a God we have. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven, and the future starts now. God is keeping careful watch over us, and the day is coming when we will have it all, life healed and whole. And even though you have to put up with every kind of frustration in the meantime, Love God and trust God. I could go on and on and on with such words of encouragement. And I believe these and other words are words that inspired Martin Luther King Jr. one day to say the following. He said, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. So as I conclude, it's my prayer for all of us today that God will bless us with faith. A faith that says to each of us, 
all will be well, all will be well. A faith that says to each of us, have the courage and the character to name what's wrong. That we will have, as Admiral Stockdale said, the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of our reality, whatever they might be. A faith that instills us not only with peace, but hope that passes all understanding. And finally, you may remember near the beginning of my words today, I described some of Dr. King's last words to a musician named Ben. Dr. King said, Ben, make sure you play Take My Precious Hand, Lord. Play that song at the meeting tonight and play it real pretty. With this in mind, I pray that you and I will be blessed with such faith that we will trust that our Lord is taking each one of us by our hands and holding them tightly. So tightly that we will have the freedom, not necessarily to play a song real pretty, but we'll feel the freedom to live a life real pretty that reflects the heart of Jesus and our trust that God will prevail. And let us pray.